0: and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Agile customer service, and how organizations can be as nimble with their customer support teams as they are in other aspects of business in our cloud-based world. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Daniel Rodriguez, Chief Marketing Officer at Simpler. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this. Um, so let's let's get started about uh, talking about the the need for more agile customer service. So uh, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that organizations have in maintaining flexibility and agility in in delivery of customer service?
1: Well, I mean, let's let's actually rewind to before the pandemic. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Um, because before the pandemic, I think a lot of organizations realized that the customer expectation was changing. Um, You know, Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime Now basically had turned us all into Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We are, um, as consumers, we are as um, impetulant and unwilling to uh, wait as we have ever been, and we are becoming, and data suggests that we are uh, becoming worse and worse. We are becoming more Veruca Salt-like, not less. Um, So this was already pressuring companies into providing a customer service level of support that was um, stretching them. Because the traditional fixed resource model um, even if you're using an outsourcer that is allowing you to um, do some form of forecasting, it was just really hard. It was really hard to do things like staffing chat to the yeah. level that you need in order to staff chat to to, to make it worthwhile. You know, you got to get back to people within 30 seconds and you got to do it around the clock um, uh, 24-7. And that's really just been very challenging. You then layer on what happened with the pandemic, where if you you know if people are working in an outsourced you know BPO relationship, there were kind of massive disruptions to 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 some of those business models, where people you know for for connectivity reasons, if you have offshore resources, um, all the way to just the health and well being of of folks that you were then trying to um, trying to flex to remote, which which was challenging for a lot of organizations, um, it created a bit of this perfect storm where the customer expectation has accelerated to a point that it was already kind of breaking the model. And then the pandemic came along. And I think in many ways, you know, was the was the wave that kind of crashed onto the shores for, for a lot of people and said, you know, we really need to rethink the way that we are doing our, customer service, you know, um, because of the customer experience that we're providing um, is going to leave us as a brand behind. So the, the pressures I think that have then kind of come to bear, you know, have really then made people question a few things. One of them is, you know, hey, are there are there models that allow us to just be much more flexible? Um, because fixed staffing to a variable problem, right? I mean, that's really what customer service is. I mean, we have many companies have cadences of ups and downs, whether it's on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a seasonal basis. There are peaks and valleys um, that, that companies have. And so it just becomes very difficult to actually be providing high quality and consistent customer service in a fixed model. And and even though we think that some of that model has has the capacity to be variable, because again, we can do some projections and we can say, well, we can go up or down a little bit in the future. The reality is we aren't flexible tomorrow. We're not flexible if something happened tomorrow. We really aren't. right? Um, And the pandemic, I think, then really Put it, put a spotlight on that. So the 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 desire, I think, for many companies to be flexible from a customer service standpoint, so that we you know live up to the expectation of our customers, we aren't leaving revenue on the table. You know that's obviously one of the biggest kind of reasons here. And then I think the other one, you know, around flexibility is just it's not really cost effective to be making um, permanent or semi permanent future cost decisions that you don't really know if you're getting right. Um, And, you know, I mean, this is, this should, you know, obviously, you know, thematically with, you know, with your podcast here about being agile, you know, your customer service historically hasn't really been all that agile. Um, And in many ways, I think what we have done as a company in this now CX movement that we are very much a part of, I think is is, is coming and saying, it's okay to completely variableize and be completely agile with your customer service because you can still create a great customer experience. You can have really high CSAT scores and deliver a better, um, a, a, a better faster response time type of experience that will, that will ultimately um, be better for the customer, but it's also better for the bottom line.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's dive into that. What does that look like? You know, what does that more agile approach to to customer service look like? And and your your company simpler sounds like there's you know you're doing some interesting things in that in that regard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I think it it means a couple of things, right? The first is that you have to you know, many companies are looking at ways that they can. Um, they, can, they can create more flexibility and responsiveness. And I think the predominant angle that people have taken over the past few years, and I think there's been a lot of you know, hype and there's been a lot of investment here in the this, in this space, has been around automation, right? How can we get auto responses? How can we get bots to be, um, to be helping us to lower our overall cost structure and be more responsive to customers? And the promise of what automation, you know, was was helping to bring from a, I think, cost mitigation and also, you know, providing just a general amount of agility. Um, I think the promise has has not yet fully been delivered for a lot of organizations. I think we've we've spoken to enough people to to, to feel really strongly that um, that it looks like there should be, and it depends on your it depends on your business. It depends on you know that some of the some of the types of customer inquiries you're getting, you know, we we work with a lot of e-commerce retail companies, so we have you know a lot of strong use cases in the you know in, in that space in the quick serve restaurant space. Um, but you can get some auto response happening for call it ten to twenty percent of your overall inquiries, and that really does create I think some some strong advantages. But if you're trying to lean on automation to be your primary answer to how do we become more agile, you're going to really end up not just disappointing your customers, I think you're going to piss them off because you know and, and i've I've had this experience. I don't know, Greg, if you feel the same way, but you know, how many times have you know you gone on and there is you know basically the the phone tree hell equivalent. Yeah. going on, on like a chat bot where you totally. just want to, you know, representative, is, is there an actual person that I can actually talk to? Because this thing isn't working. It's not smart enough yet. It doesn't have the right logic kind of, you know, capabilities. It's not empathetic, certainly enough to me. Um, so I think there's a, you know, I think there's a strong desire for people to say, okay, well then what else can we do? And, and the answer is, well, There are actually great people that are out there in the world that if they just had access to a technology that would allow them to become instantly trained on your brand and your voice and your response types, then you could tap into that human cloud network. And that's what we've built. We have built a technology that allows companies to basically tap into a human cloud network of people that allow them to be both instantly flexible, but most importantly, um, rapidly responsive to a very large percentage of a customer's inquiry types. Which then, when you look at your kind of hey, here's here's my pie of of customer inquiries, it really allows you to say, you know, in the in the old world, you know, the old way of doing things in that fixed staffing model that we had, and um, we were we were having to commit a certain percentage of our spend for a certain percentage of our overall volume. Um, and we were getting it somewhat right sometimes, and there was inefficiency there. Um, and we're we're saying now in the new in the new model, you're probably doing about ten to twenty percent automation. You're probably doing another, call it sixty to seventy percent of of your inquiries could be, Um, tapping into the human cloud network. And then you've got um, a small percentage that are for high escalation, high touch point issues, which require an internal team. But that internal team is a fraction potentially of what what the overall fixed cost structure used to be. So that the overall spend is 90% variable and 10% fixed, which probably for many companies flips that fixed to variable number completely on its head.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I mean, I think there's, there's a number of, of things that are interesting here. So, I mean, one, just the, the overall move in the, in the global workforce to let's call it more, whether it's gig work or just more individual. Uh, work and, and independent work and, and things like that, which I think there's plenty of great people out there. To your point, that um, just need the resources and the tools to to be able to do the work, and and they're certainly capable of doing that. I think the other the other component to this is just from from the company standpoint. Uh, you know, you can. Th- You can throw as much resources and and dollars as you can at certain things like customer service but it doesn't necessarily mean that customer satisfaction is going to get better so in other words you could have a you could hire the greatest staff in the world and and um and and have the greatest team or whatever ready and and on standby but a lot of customers actually want on-demand service or they have different needs and and so on and so forth so i think you know, this, this approach makes tons of sense because it's, it's on, it's on, it's on demand in, in, a, in the truest sense of the, of the term in that, you know, it's, it's exactly what customers need when they need it, as well as what, uh, you know, companies aren't spending too much, they're spending just enough. And, and so, so, I mean, I think in, in theory, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, in practice, what are some of the, what are some of the KPIs that you're held to and, and that companies should be thinking of when, you know, in, in terms of this? I mean, I'm sure customer satisfaction or NPS are, are, are in there, but, you know, what are, what are some of the things that, that you're measured by?
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody's looking at CSAT. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, 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 we are, we are certainly, um, looking at that as a, as a KPI and, you know, having SLAs, having SLAs around that. Um, uh, we, we oftentimes, um, we oftentimes are, are expected we want people to expect us to have, um, KPIs and service level agreements, actually, on those KPIs around first response time and time to resolution. Um, you know, FRT is great and all, but if you don't end up really able to be helpful to somebody, you kind of trick yourself into thinking that you've yeah. you solved the problem that you just um, you just started to solve, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think FRT is a great metric for bot companies to go around and tell people, yeah, you should just be, you know, lowering FRT. But then you look at your actual time to resolution, and it's like days because the, the the bot wasn't able to actually be helpful. And then they told you, well, we'll get back to some, we'll get back to you when we've, you know, pushed this message via chat into the email queue, and the internal team is just is just. Swamped with emails, right? I mean, that's you know, kind of a practical implication of kind of what happens there. Um, we really love to see people and help people um, communicate uh, the repeat purchase rate metric. I think it's a really powerful metric because if you are able to, if you're able to show uh, internal you know, internally you're able to, to, to show to, to your, whether it's the CMO, whether it's to the CEO, um, that by staffing chat 24 seven on some of your product pages, some of your pre-purchase pages, not just, you know, on the, on the support part of your website, um, And we've got great data that, you know, shows us we've got, you know, we can, we can, you know, link to this in the, in the notes, but, um, you know, you can go to our website and see some of these, these, these use cases, but it's absolutely phenomenal um, to basically prove that you're getting a five or $10 out of every dollar you're spending staffing chat in net new revenue, Um, huge lift. Um, you know, on not a huge, you know, necessarily spend basis here, but I mean, just in terms of like the ROI on what you're actually looking at here, um, makes a material difference. You know, I mean, these acquisition costs are obviously very high for a lot of people. Um, and it's critically important that you can show that you are driving um, driving acquisition. and so, um, And so conversion and repeat purchase rate are really important metrics that we see a lot of our customers measuring. And then we are attaching those, uh, those metrics onto the efforts, uh, of, of, um, of, you know, our, our human cloud network.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's return to this, uh, the overall concept of, of human cloud. And, um, certainly your, your application of it in customer service is, is really interesting and, and, and fascinating to me, I, th- I think it's, it's long overdue and, and being implemented like that, what? Why do you think more organizations haven't embraced this approach so far? I mean, what's what's standing in the way of of doing this, and I guess embracing in a more in a broader sense?
1: Yeah. I, so, um, and you use the word gig. You know, I, I I'm I'm not averse to 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 the word gig, certainly, but but um, you know, there has been really this kind of uh, there was a gig 1.0, and there's now I think we are operating in a gig 2.0 model. Um, And so let me kind of like unpack that a little bit because, um, you know, several years ago, you know, there were a few companies that basically came along and said, hey, we're going to tap into um, gig workers. They're going to be, you know, 1099 contract workers, and we are going to allow you to, um, quote unquote, you know, create variable spend into your customer service model. They were kind of preaching this and saying this. Now the way it was working there were, there were kind of a, there were kind of two approaches that a couple of different companies were taking in the market and, and it looks like neither of these approaches have been particularly scalable for companies nor nor overall successful and um and it's something to it's something to acknowledge and to learn from and that we have that like we have learned from certainly in in building the type of company that we have so the first is that you have um you you have contract workers but then you basically treat them you, you make them act like employees. You make you know you make them set up their own LLCs, get their own equipment, train themselves and then set up and schedule hours, right? And so you end up with what what looks on its surface like a gig model but it then kind of performs like a th- more of a fixed model because you're still asking people to work certain hours and then you get locked into certain staffing. Right. So you uh, aren't yeah. fully really variabilizing the ability to, to, to meet peaks or valleys of your actual demand. Um, and there's also like kind of like challenging, like negative labor components that are going on with that, with that type of model, um, where, where you're, you know, I I don't, I don't know if you're treating people basically as well as they should be treated. And there's articles that have been written about that. Um, and, um, right. And so the, the second, the the second way that we've seen companies then go about and try to do this in the gig 1.0 model was you then take experts or brand advocates and you sell them back to the company (laughs) basically, Hey, what we're going to do is we are going to facilitate you know people that know your brand well, and we're going to facilitate them interacting with your customers. And what has what what has played out there is that if you aren't a big enough company that has a large enough number of fans, right? You have a limited pool of people that you can then tap into. So you're kind of capped in some way naturally. Um, and and for some brands, there's there is no market for this. They have, they just don't have enough people to tap into to do this. Right. And and then the second, the second thing is the quality and the breadth of inquiries that somebody can actually end up being helpful with is, is actually quite limited. You know, you're not provisioning people into parts of your technology stack because of security reasons. So they can only kind of handle certain things. Hey, they're, getting paid or not getting paid, but they're trying to be helpful. And it's all turns into basically like you kind of didn't get what you wanted out of it and your customers weren't fully happy and you didn't really solve for the big problem, which is, Hey, how can we variableize a large percentage of our volume and do it in a high quality way? You don't get there and you can't actually get there. You just become kind of naturally capped out in gig 2.0 what we're talking about is using technology to tap into um, opening the aperture around what inquiries can be taken. And that fundamentally then unlocks a large amount of value for companies because you are then now saying, hey, this isn't, the gig isn't, you know, gig, what, what ended up happening, I think, you know, is that gig became synonymous with kind of niche? Like maybe we can do 10% of our volume with gig, um, and maybe it'll work well or maybe it won't for our business, but it's like not going to really fundamentally move the needle for us or rethink the way that we do our customer support. And gig 2.0, which we very much feel like we are playing into here. And so, as long as you're talking about Gig 2.0, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Um, you know, Gig 2.0 is saying use technology to open up the, the the number of inquiries that that can be taken, the 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 percentage take right that, that can be made, um, so that you are then truly restructuring the way that you're doing customer support. And so, um, and so, yeah, we we do think that um, we do think there's been an evolution. Just in the this is really only in the past five years of of this of the of the gig model and the use of the use of technology.
0: Well one last question before we wrap up here. So using this uh, you know it's really it's a combination of humans as well as AI and machine learning. Um, you know simpler's been been doing this for, for a little while here. What's your perspective on just how this interaction works? I mean there's a lot of people talking about the machines are gonna replace us and I'm I for one I'm not Um, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, Although I certainly parts of people's roles are going to be replaced by automation and and so on and so forth. I think there's a lot of opportunity, but um, you know, what, how, how do you think that humans and AI can work better together? I mean, do you think some of the things that you're doing are, are kind of proving that model and, you know, just what's your, what's your general thoughts there?
1: We're writing a book right now. um, uh, And as part of writing this book, we actually, I interviewed um, an author, Matthew uh, Cotney, who, who wrote uh, a book about the gig economy. Um, and, you know, he was, you know, it's about AI and the gig economy. And he was basically saying, um, you know, you look, you look across broad swaths of the labor pool. And what technology is doing is basically empowering workers to be able to work on their time. Um, and this was, you know, in no way in the book was he even ever specifically talking about customer service. Um, but when I then interviewed him and talked about it, he was like, oh, I totally understand how this is applicable to customer service. Because, because what we are basically doing is saying technology, the, you know, the AI here, right, the AI is specifically being used to allow somebody to train up in a moment to be able to respond well to a customer service inquiry. And a lot of brands, a lot of people that we then talk to, they're immediately skeptical of that. And I understand why, because that has never happened before. There hasn't been technology before that basically allows somebody to know how to answer their tickets. It normally has to be this you know, training process that people go through and that they have to get trained up on, on the internal systems. And This hasn't existed before, but this is now where things are, where people can not only use AI to then get smart so that they can become a useful brand advocate for for a company, but that technology generally, right? Because this isn't the AI part, this is the connectivity part, right? This is using APIs to tap into systems that the technology is actually allowing people to then be wherever they want to be right so and we are then facilitating that so that you know if it's a, a military spouse who's located on the other side of the world they are actually able to flip on you know, flip open their laptop and start taking tickets for a variety of different brands right there through by accessing the the simpler platform and get paid for it right there. Right. Um, you know, resolving, resolving customers inquiries, you know, cause it's all about resolution. It's not just about first, first response. So that's what I think is, is, is kind of happening, you know, with our business and the way it's disrupting the customer service space, but it's happening broadly within the economy where people are able to, work jobs and it's increasingly white collar by the way you know um types of types of jobs where you're uh, you know taking a role and it is facilitated by technology so to the extent that technology is going to be um replacing people you know i think that the promise of of bots um is is a bit is is a bit maybe you know overhyped you know are there some percentage, you know, it's, it's a, I, I would say low double digits percentage of volume that companies should be looking to automate. And, and therefore are, are those, you know, are, are machines taking people's jobs in those situations? Yes. Uh, yeah. I believe that, you know, um, will that become 80% for most companies over the next five years? No, no, abs- I, I fundamentally do not believe that. Um, but will technology reshape the way that people are able to work and be productive and be contributing members of a company's mission, even if they are not employees at that company and physically at that office? Yeah, that's the power, I think, of, of, of AI in, in this, in this gig economy space.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, well, Daniel, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? You know, I would say, um,
1: you know, we're, we're trying to do a lot of, a lot of great stuff over here at, at simpler and putting out a lot of useful content. Um, we're building a, an, you know, community for CX professionals called CX life. So check out CX life, a lot of great resources, um, uh, for for bettering bettering yourself, learning, growing your career, um, getting promotions. Um, and uh, if you're interested in, in connecting with me on LinkedIn, um, you can you can find me pretty easily on LinkedIn.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Daniel Rodriguez, Chief Marketing Officer at Simpler for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.